HPPodcraft.com. Surges from the dark and violent sea to conquer the earth. Why the girls? It's my theory that these creatures are driven to mate with men now. night. I seed them. I was up in the queue below. Hearts of them, swarms of them all over the reef and swimming up the harbour into the Minoxid. God, what happened in the streets of Innsmouth that night? They rattled our door, but Pa wouldn't open. Then he clam out the kitchen window with his musket to find Selectman Maori and see what he could do. Mounds of the dead and the dying. Shots and screams, shouting in Old Square, Town Square, and New Church Green. Jail, throat open, proclamation, treason. Called it the plague when folks come in and found half our people missing. Nobody left but them as a giant in with Obed and them things, or else keep quiet. Never heard of my pa no more. That was a, a paragraph from the H.P. Lovecraft story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, which we're covering here in our third part on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Matt Barisi. Hi, Matt. Welcome back. We were kind of all over the place last time, so we're going to do a little quick catch-up before we jump into the story. But first, a couple things to get out of the way. Our ransom for the full reading of The Call of Cthulhu is still happening. Uh, Andrew Lehman's going to read that, and that's who we heard in the opening quote there reading doing that excellent uh, Zadok dialect. We're still taking money for that. When we reach 3000 bucks, we're going to release that full reading. So please, if you have a chance, you have a little bit of pocket change to send our way, uh, go onto our site, hit that donate button, and, and hit us up with that. I wanted to make an announcement. It's kind of a okay. personal uh, announcement. Well, two, two announcements. One, All right. big deal. I've got a Cthulhu Fez that I love. <laughs> from, from Fezorama. It's amazing. It's, yeah. it's really high quality, and I adore it. Are you wearing it now? I, I am wearing it as I do this podcast. Unfortunately, there's no. <laughs> awesome. I wear actually. I just wear it around the house because I feel uh -huh. like I'm really cool. It's it's just really nice. And then oh, the other announcement is oh, my wife's having a baby. Yay! Well, okay. So back to the fez. Yeah. I, now, do you? <laughs> it adjusts. <laughs> it has no, an adjustable. No, 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 oh, all wow. right. So yeah, Rachel's having a baby. She's having a baby. Yes. Oh, uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, really excited. Uh, baby's due in November, and um, we already know it's a boy. His name is going to be Albert. Okay. Naming him after Albert Wilmarth from uh, no. Whisper in Darkness. No, my really? grandfather's name is Albert. Okay. So he's due around November. We'll probably get him on the show then. Yeah. January, February. Yeah, we'll get him in there. We'll have yeah. some uh, have him do some creepy sounds because that's yeah. all babies make. <laughs> <laughs> no. They're creepy cooing and gurgling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is it an adorable baby or a shotgun? Who knows? <laughs> Well, that's great, man. That's so cool. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're really, really excited. Can't, can't be happier. Not quite of a momentous uh, import, but I did want to announce something. It's somewhat non-Lovecraft related, but I have a novel that I completed some time ago that yes. I have just put on sale on Amazon uh, for the Kindle. So yes. it's called uh, Children in Heat. It's uh, sort of a coming-of-age story about a high school kid in the Midwest. It's not, it's not really a Lovecraft story. I mean, it starts in a graveyard, so I guess there's that. But uh, No, there's no supernatural elements to it, no. but it is an amazing book i love it i'm oh, i'm biased i'm biased i admit it i admit it but it it made me laugh 
It made me cry. I I'm not I'm not kidding. It's 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 brilliant. You are a fabulous Aww. writer. Everyone Thanks, should get this book. Check it out. I'm not kidding. I'm not well, kidding. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'll put <laughs> I'll put a link up to it in the show notes. It's called Children in Heat. It's by me. It's a it's a short little. There's lots of curse words and sex and violence in it. So if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, give it a buzz. Give it a read. Matt, you have read this book, haven't you? Yes, I have read this book, and it's really a great book. I think it's like it's great. Everybody should go out and read it. I'm going to buy a copy. But you you already you have it. And you already you're going to buy a, another copy. That's right. All right. Well, I'm okay. blushing, and 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 I also have an erection. So let's uh, let's what? move on. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. Now, like I said, like, now we were kind of all over the place and having a good time in the last episode. But I want to make sure that we got the. Oh, you know what? Before I do do this, is there mm-hmm. anything? Anybody wants to clear up errors we've made in the past? Couple of the, we've had some people writing in telling us that we okay. were wrong about yes. something. Yes, I understand that the equinox aren't on those dates. I was off by about ten days yeah. on each end, so I that was my mistake. They're not. They're they're, they're halfway <laughs> between the the equinox. I don't know, but I, they're not the equinox. No, no. What else? There was something else in the last episode. Oh, the swastika. The swastika thing. But that didn't really make it. The word swastika and that particular symbol is Sanskrit. Is Sanskrit. However, yeah. that same symbol, you know, that looking thing, has been found all over the world in all these unrelated right. different cultures. Matt, you're not really wrong. Well, yeah, I, I had no idea about the thing's origin. So um, <laughs> I, I said I said it was ancient Celtic because that sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good default intellectual thing to say. Oh yes, yes, the Celts. No, because <laughs> yeah. there were mysterious people. But you know, Matt, if some, if anybody's gonna be mad at you for something for not knowing something, not knowing the history of the freaking swastika is a pretty good thing to not know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would be more disturbing if I had looked into it extensively. <laughs> you were talking Celtic. There is a Celtic uh, swastika. And it was found between 350 to 50 BC. So that's mm. before they had any connection with India or anything like that. So mm. this, and there's also this Jungian thing where where Carl Jung thinks that certain symbols pop up in the collective unconsciousness, that whole thing. And uh, yeah. he talks about the, the swastika as one because it it's in all of these ancient cultures. <laughs> Enough so where we were, Robert Olmsted was on a genealogical tour of New England. He took a bus through Innsmouth as a cuss-cutting device. He found the place to be kind of repellent, secretive, but he's fascinated by it. So he read up on the history, and, and he interrogated a grocery boy and this old drunk to get info. The old drunk was Zadok Allen. That's who we heard in the opening. He was telling Robert about the trouble with Innsmouth, uh, which had really happened about 100 years before. Concisely, Captain Obed Marsh, who was a, a guy from town 100 years previous, had found an island in the South Seas in which the natives had made a deal with these monsters from the ocean. They offered up human sacrifice, and they bred with the things, then they could have wealth and prosperity. Obed and Innsmouth shared in the prosperity by getting gold from those islanders and bringing it back, but those islanders were eventually wiped out by rival islanders who didn't like their heathen ways or whatever. So Obed decided, I'm going to get the gold right here at home, and he dropped this kind of charm in the water, which caused the same underwater creatures to come up on Devil's Devil Reef right by Innsmouth. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing started happening again. Obed and his followers started a church, the esoteric order of Dagon, and they sacrificed young people in order to get hold of the gold and abundant fishing. Um, the mating hadn't started yet, but what happened is the people of Innsmouth didn't like what was going on, so they put Obed and his followers in jail, which caused the creatures to come up to Innsmouth and start causing some trouble. This is often referred to as the Plague of 1846, and that's what was referenced in that opening quote, and that catches us up. Yeah? Yeah. That work? But it wasn't a plague. It was the flipping deep ones came up and took everybody out that wasn't on their team. 
Yeah. We had a discussion last time about whether or not Obed kind of planned for this to happen or knew the whole extent of it. And Zadok seems to think that Obed only really wanted the gold and thought he could get away with just getting the gold and the fish, right? Mm. So you even feel sorry for him because, you know, we don't know for sure, but we think that Obed was forced to make some rather unpleasant life changes after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody was that was left, you know, because people had to join the church. And my favorite is that little, they had to, others had to entertain guests. Oh. When they showed up. Oh. That would have been a fun oh. job. <laughs> <laughs> How do you prepare for that? I no, mean, you what just, do you make? What food no, do you make? It's easy. No, no, no. You get you get some dip. You get some chips. You get out Pictionary. <laughs> <laughs> or Cranium. Done. Well, I do think it's interesting, though, that these deep ones... By the way, we keep referring to them as the deep ones. Where does Is that in the story? It is in the story. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember seeing it in there. No, it's no, at I, the mean, end. I think it's at I the just end. I kind of know that they're the deep ones because that's what everybody calls them, but I didn't I don't remember it. But I guess is he actually says it in there. At the end it. of the story, which we haven't gotten to yet. It was her but not Oh, the deep ones could never be strong. Okay, so it yeah. is actually what he named these. He calls them the deep ones. I don't okay. know if that's like their official name. I don't know if that's what they call themselves, but that's how he refers to them. Well it's capitalized, so we can assume that that's the name. All right, well, that's good. I was afraid that we were using some role-playing game type, you know, terminology. No, no, no. Come on, we're better than that. <laughs> I was impressed that they work up to having sex with the people in the town. You know? <laughs> it's a romance. <laughs> oh, there's a reference at this point, too, where they say that, you know, if they were forced to, they could start rising up and wiping out humankind. They just don't want to do that. But they don't say, he doesn't say why, though. He just says they're just not interested. Yeah, they're just not interested in it, but I, you know, I find... <laughs> I just I love that that gets dropped a few times like there's that they're kind of lazy in a way you know the reason that we're not all dead is because they just haven't gotten you know haven't gotten to get together yet to wipe everybody out well I mean part of me always wondered what they what are they really getting out of it I assume, I mean they meet mate why do they mate with humans why can they are they not fertile to mate with each other it's a good question because if they're immortal as well why would they want to reproduce besides accidents so you know I'm sure they get eaten up by sea monsters and things like that as well. Yeah. Well, what I think it's one of the great things about this story and Lovecraft in general is that you just don't know. You just there's the motives are unclear. The yeah, everything's yeah. kind of unknown. Like why they do these things. And that's what yeah. makes it creepy. You know, they're just doing this stuff, and there are a lot of questions that are left unanswered, and that is great. And I mean, and going back to the mound when there was all these questions, I was riveted, and I thought it was scary and creepy and interesting. And once those questions were answered, I hated that story. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a really interesting thing about his uh, technique as a writer because sometimes, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Like when we talked about the street, but there's there's this tendency to think of Lovecraft as kind of a hacky writer, or you know, even in his best stories, like mountains of madness he seems kind of indulgent or languorous but then you forget how talented he is as a writer because he creates this effect by what's not there i think it's really an amazing trick that he pulls off as a writer but that that he can produce that effect one thing that i thought was funny around this uh there was a funny description here where it said yield up enough sacrifices and savage knickknacks and harborage in the town when they wanted it and they'd let well enough alone savage knickknacks yeah precious moments <laughs> Engraved money clips and the like. <laughs> exactly. What makes them savage, though? Why, have you seen a precious moment? <laughs> <laughs> well, k kids that grew up after this all happened, they were pretty weird, right? After they, uh, the Deep Ones kind of stormed the town. So a lot of, uh, uh, Zadok, I think, he left for the Civil War when that rolled around, and he came back. He says he kind of wishes that he hadn't. 
And, and there's an important detail here. After 46, the cap, Captain Obed, he took a second wife that nobody ever saw. It was yeah. kind of like Arthur German did the same. Like one of his ancestors had it. Right. Yeah. A chimp is, for a wife that nobody saw or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody thought it weird that Captain Obed was bringing a fishbowl to all the local dances, but they didn't ask too many questions. <laughs> but before that, Obed tells them there's going to be some changes around here now, right? And they all have to take oaths and stuff like that. I love that, too, when he's talking about how he, Zadok is... First of all, why did Zadok come back? Why would anybody ever come back to that town after that yeah. happened? They're like, oh, it's not so know. bad, actually. <laughs> but when he's saying, like, I, I took the first oath and the second oath, but I would have died before Ooh. I took the third oath. Oh, what was that third oath? What, what happened? Oh, I know what the third oath was. You do? Oh, yeah. Is that you become a, you become a deep one or mate with one of them? You got to do a deep one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can't become a deep one. You have to be a, a hybrid to to actually oh. be immortal. Obed and this second wife that nobody ever saw. They had a they had a daughter who was educated in Europe. And there's a reference here that Obed tricked some fellow from Arkham into marrying her. Just a little mm. detail that gets thrown up. Don't know if yep. it's going to be relevant later or not. But probably probably not. Probably not. Right now, Barnabas Marsh is running the refinery. That's one of... Now, there was Captain Obed Marsh, who's the ancestor, and then there's Old Man Marsh, who's, you know, a couple generations away from him, but he's mostly out of sight. His son, Barnabas, is running the refinery, but he's starting to get out of sight, you know, as he gets older. We're winding down on the details and the storytelling and that kind of thing, and then Zadok looks out and sees the tide coming in, and that makes him more upset. He grabs the narrator and he says... Hey, you. Why don't you say something? How'd you like to be living in a town like this with everything rotten and a dying and barded up monsters crawling and bleating and barking and hopping around black cellars and attics every way you turn? Hey, how'd you like to hear the howling night out of night from the churches in Ardradagan Hall and know what's doing part of the howling? How'd you like to hear what comes from that awful reef every May Eve and Hallow Mass, hey? Think the old man's crazy, eh? Well, sir, let me tell you, that ain't the worst. I really love that turn where he's kind of, you can just can almost smell the booze on his breath, you know? Yeah. He grabs him and gets into his face. How would you like that? <laughs> angry. He's just this angry drunk. And how can anything be worse than, than all of that? Well, this is what he says. He says, you want to know what the real horror is, eh? But it's this. It ain't what them fish devils has done. But what they're a-gone to do, they're a-bringing things up out of where they come from into the town. Been doing it for years, and slackening up lately. Them houses north of the river betwixt water and main streets is full of them. Them devils and what they brung, and when they get ready, I say, when they get ready, ever hear tell of a shoggoth? What? Yeah, that was a... A shoggoth? I didn't remember that from when I read this the first time, that there was no. a Shoggoth. I didn't remember it either. It really shocked me when I uh, read this again recently, right before the show. I was like, whoa, Shoggoth? I mean, maybe because Mountains of Madness, you know, we just covered it, but... Yeah. Well, now I clearly know what that is, but I try to think, what did I even think of that when I read this the first time? Well, I mean, I know what I thought. It was just some weird word. I mean, he throws out earlier in his drunk ravings, he starts speaking, you know, Fatag- Cthulhu Fatagan... Right. You know, all that jazz. I just thought it was another Cthulhu yeah, language. Yeah, crazy word. Well, so, I mean, yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter if you know what the thing's called, but it's pretty clear that there's a even more insidious plan going on in which an even greater horror is going to be summoned up out of the deep somehow. Well, I mean, he says in the houses, so they've got, it sounds like they've got shoggoths in those empty big houses and stuff as well. Right. Well, so, I just really like that he says that because it almost seems silly in a way that this whole drama played out on that island in the South Seas. And now the exact same 
thing is happening in Innsmouth. The difference here is that they're going to go one step further, and we don't know what that is. Well, we do know they're going to go to a bigger city next time, right? Like, that's what he says. Wow. So the deep ones do Manhattan. (laughs) Zadok, when he he sees that tide and he says that ever here, tell the he's like, wait a minute, somebody saw us talking. I got to get out of here. He just flips out. He screams. He runs away. Yeah. I don't know what he saw, but something. Yeah. So (laughs) it's a pretty crazy story that our guy heard from Zadok. It's getting late, and... You know, he was already kind of thinking to he wanted to find a, a a way to get out of there besides the bus, but he's been talking to him for some time. It's getting late. He goes back down. He needs to catch the bus. He just wants to get the right. heck out of it. And that brings us to chapter four. I was, it appeared, in very bad luck. There had been something wrong with the engine, despite the excellent time made from Newburyport, and the bus could not complete the journey to Arkham. No, it could not possibly be repaired that night, nor was there any other way of getting transportation out of Innsmouth, either to Arkham or elsewhere. Sergeant was sorry, but I would have to stop over at the Gilman. Probably the clerk would make the price easy for me, but there was nothing else to do. Almost dazed by this sudden obstacle and violently dreading the fall of night in this decaying and half-unlighted town, I left the bus and re-entered the hotel lobby where the sullen, queer-looking night clerk told me I could have room 428 on next the top floor, large but without running water, for a dollar. You know, this is one of those things, we skipped over this here, but when he goes back, the bus pulls into town. This is what's really creepy about this, and and if I was him, I would have just hoofed it. I wouldn't have even mm-hmm. stayed in the hotel. I just would have walked out of town, just gotten okay. out of there. Because the bus comes into town, the creeps that they dropped off in Newberry Port come off the bus, and then he gets on the bus and sits in his seat, and then the bus driver comes by and goes, oh, yeah, the bus is broken. Yeah. You know, it's like, huh? You guys just pulled into town. He goes, no, we can't make it to Arkham tonight. You're going to have to stay here. I, I love the whole – I mean, this is part of that whole elaborate charade of the town because you get a sense that the, everything is – the bus is broken. That's a charade. The hotel room is a charade. Then he goes to the restaurant. Like, who actually eats at the restaurant? And he gets a bowl of vegetable soup. It just seems like all made up for his benefit. Everything is there to sort of keep him there somehow. Yeah, what did they decide about him that they want to pull this off? And what is it they want to do with him? It starts to enter this kind of fever pitch of paranoia right around here. Because yeah. there, this is particularly weird. The yeah. town is strange. There's a lot of very bizarre things going on there. But so far, it hasn't been very personal to mm-hmm. our narrator. And now he's being singled out. There's, some, you know, there's this element of paranoia enters the story. This is when I think it really gets good really gets juicy and i love yeah he has to go to that restaurant what a terrible <laughs> what a terrible <laughs> thing but he's glad that they serve yeah canned food yeah yeah he's relieved when he sees them we'll put up a can and dip it into the thing he's like, oh, thank mm-hmm. god <laughs> <laughs> you know we haven't mentioned it before uh the movie dagon by that stewart made oh right yeah there's a film adaptation of this yeah some people have uh differing ideas about it some people like it some people don't whatever your opinions of it the sections where he's walking through the town and when he gets up into the hotel and all that it's great yeah it's really really good. Can- it- I think they set it like out in Spain and and it's raining the whole time and just really captures that air of deformity and decay and it's 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 a cool movie. It's streaming on Netflix in the US if anybody hasn't seen it. Check it out. It's worth seeing for sure. The room is disgusting. This reminded me a bit of the music of Eric Zahn, the way that HP does he does urban decay very well. He's good at expressing poverty. There's a great detail here. Our protagonist looks up and sees that the bolt on his door has been recently removed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
there was a lot a bolt on the clothes press, and he takes it off of the clothes press and he puts it on the door. Got a a, <laughs> a um, three in one tool like on his keyring, like a Leatherman right. basically, a real small Leatherman. So he just takes it and does a little handiwork while he's there because he's not going to go to sleep without a lock on that door. I gotta say, it's a pretty smart thing to do. Actually, this this whole thing coming up feels like one of the great action sequences in Lovecraft. There's not too much action in the stories, but now this is a complete action sequence. What happens next in the next this whole part actually? It, in fact, I don't even remember the last time I read an action sequence that was as detailed. And I mean, he goes through the thoughts of the narrator as he's trying to escape. Pretty rare to have something like that. Yeah, it's very exciting. So it starts now. He he bolts up the door. He's kind of hanging out in there. Doesn't he's not going to be able to sleep very well. And he starts to hear some kind of furtive creaking outside in the hallway. And he wonders, is this one of those places where people get killed for money? You know? Mm-hmm. Am yeah. I going to get robbed? At length, feeling a fatigue which had nothing of drowsiness in it, I bolted the newly outfitted hall door, turned off the light, and threw myself down on the hard, uneven bed, coat, collar, shoes, and all. In the darkness, every faint noise of the night seemed magnified, and a flood of doubly unpleasant thoughts swept over me. I was sorry I had put out the light, yet was too tired to rise and turn it on again. Then, after a long, dreary interval, and prefaced by a fresh creaking of stairs and corridor, there came that soft, damnably unmistakable sound which seemed like a malign fulfillment of all my apprehensions. Without the least shadow of a doubt, the lock on my hall door was being tried. Cautiously, furtively, tentatively, with a key. Oh no. (laughs) That is one of the scariest things that can ever happen, ever. When Uh you see the doorknob moving, somebody's trying to get in. And the worst part is that there's no mistaking it. It's not like somebody was drunk and is just trying the wrong wrong room, you know? Nobody's in this hotel. And it's furtive, you know, they're cautiously doing it, trying not to wake him up. Yikes. How does he set this up? He could, there's adjoining rooms. Though all the rooms, I think, are, are adjoined, mm-hmm. but there's dividing doors between each of the rooms. So he thinks, okay, I'm not going to get out this way, but I'm going to need to go into the into the next room. While the guys are messing with that one, he goes into the into the next room and then mm-hmm. bolts that door. Yeah, he goes into the adjoining rooms and tries those doors and makes sure those are secure as well. Yeah. There's actually, he tries to cut the, he tries to turn the light on so he can prepare himself to flee, but sees that the power has been cut. <laughs> Which means yeah. this is really, I mean, it, it's almost, at first it's the bus broke down, then it's you got to, you know, in the hotel we'll put you in this room, there's creaking outside, all these things kind of keep heightening and raising the stakes. And when the power is cut off, there's definitely not just a couple of guys who want to beat him up. There's some kind of no. conspiracy. And it, it suggests a larger menace. Yeah, now his room overlooks a courtyard. That's going to be the only way that he's going to be able to get out of here. So he's going to have to yeah. jump or get out the window. And there's a building across the way, but he can't, from his from his his original room he can't get to it from that window so he's going to try and make it over to the next room he I, when he looks out he's mad that there's no fire escape yeah uh, he goes despite the state's safety regulations there was no like <laughs> <laughs> it's revealing of his character you feel like he's actually kind of a civic-minded guy the whole inbreeding with fish people thing is not that big of a deal but when they start breaking city ordinance it's tough you know <laughs> but he uses so yeah you're you're right he's gonna figure out how to get to the rooftop of one of the adjoining buildings and he uses the map the grocery boy gave him and his flashlight to kind of work out a route southward of the city toward arkham Mm -hmm. and uh He's still hashing it out. He he had heard some croaking and horse barking downstairs. But as he's working this out, some folks 
you know, since the lock didn't work, now somebody is actually knocking at his door. And getting more insistent. Like, they're knocking, and then they just start pounding on the door, right? And that's what it turns into Evil Dead 2 territory. You know when he's crashing through all those doors, Ash, at the beginning of that movie? Bam, 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 bam. bam. Yeah, that's what happens. He's just like, I don't have time now to figure out anything else. I just gotta go. So he slams into that next room, bolts that door before they can come in. But it's great because he can hear, as he goes to the adjoining room, he hears that they're already moving down they've already kind of sussed out what he's doing so they're already moving down to the next room and trying that door it's oh god no but he's lucky because the connecting door between that room and the next one isn't locked he makes it through just in time to slam that outside door shut as it's opening which is a great Mm -hmm. little action sequence you know you can see there's like a tentacle coming through or something he gets it bolted and now people are in the room behind him and someone's trying i mean it's just sort of this uh it's almost like a farce you know People, deep ones are going in this room, then he's going through another room, and it, you know how they do that in well, Scooby Doo or that kind of thing, where right. everybody's coming in and out of different rooms and Man, trying to catch each other. No, I I ne- didn't see this as a farce. I see this as terrifying. This was really really <laughs> scary. And if you um, did you ever play that video game called Cthulhu: The Dark Corners of the Earth? I never did, but people uh, were talking about it on the forums. Is it set in this? Yeah, it's pretty much Innsmouth, the Shadow over Innsmouth, and you kind of play through it, and you play through this part of the game, which is one really hard to do. But it is really scary, oh, this yeah. part of the game. And it's exactly, it's, ju- it's just like right out of the story where you're just trying to hurry up and get through these rooms before before they, because they're, you know, keep going a door ahead then they realize what you're doing and then you've got to get, you know, figure out, get out the window and then get across the courtyard and down the thing. And it's Man. scary in the story and it's scary in the game. It's really great. Well, it gets even worse because whoever's outside, they seem to have some kind of battering ram at some point. I mean, they're, they're going to get in there and get him no matter what. He's worried about making that jump from rooftop to rooftop, but in the room that he's in, he does see some heavy drapes. He creates this kind of improvised rope. So he makes yeah. his escape and leaves forever the morbid and horror-infested fabric of the Gilman house. With all the setup earlier, though, about the boarded-up buildings with strange sounds in them, man, I wouldn't want to go in any of these places, abandoned no. or not. Well, obviously not abandoned. they got freaking fish monsters living in them, or Shawgoths. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse, how do the Shawgoths fit in those houses? Aren't the Shawgoths really big? They're big, but they're also amorphous. You know, they're constantly changing. They don't have a, a solid, you know, they adapt when they need, you know, they need an arm. They grow an arm. They need an extra eye. They grow an eye. Big fleshy mass with eyeballs. Bobbio makes it to the street, right? And then he's fleeing. He's actively fleeing the town at that point. And so that is probably a good place for us to stop this time. He's escaped from the hotel, but he's got to make his escape from the town. And the worst part is that after he had gained that other building and he looks out, he sees that some sort of general alarm has been raised, right? Yeah, throughout the whole town. People are shambling about and kind of gathering together and barking and meeping at each other. And Yeah, then he sees people, doesn't he see people coming out of the uh, Gilman House Hotel? Don't they come out in like kind of a flood? There was a lot of guys in the hotel after him. It wasn't just one or two, it was a mess. Oh, and yeah, I think one of the figures has a robe and tiara too. So he knows he's in trouble with these, uh, <laughs> with these folks and they want him badly for some reason. So that's where we're going to stop this time and then we're yes. going to close everything up actually we're going to um we're gonna do one more episode i think covering yep. the story and then after that uh we were just gonna we're gonna do a little wrap up with some special guests that'll be kind of a fun episode as well speaking of special guests i've got this cool little track to play for our outro it's from a band uh, friends of the show called misty roses a very cool pop group with a really you know unique uh cool sound and they're also transatlantic like us one fella is in new york and the other is in london um this track is called Innsmouth Jewelry. It's obviously appropriate to what we're covering. And it's from the um, t- their 2009 album, Villainous. So I hope you enjoy that. And uh, that's all we got today. I want to say again, Chris, congratulations. Thank you so much. 
I'm very excited, very excited about this. And I want to say, uh, everybody, make sure you get Children in Heat. <laughs> yeah, pick up my book. The link will be in the show notes. And uh, please, if you have a chance, send us a little bit of money so we can get that great reading of The Call of Cthulhu out there and produced for everybody to have, uh, featuring Andrew Lehman on the mic, who is also our reader today. Thanks, Andrew, for doing a great job, as always. I also want to thank uh, Brooke Burgess, our intern, for some awesome notes that she took and for some jokes that I stole from her. And <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have Brooke on the show sometime soon. Yeah, we? yeah, we're going to have Brooke on. She's, uh, she's a pretty cool lady, and I think she's got a lot to to add about Lovecraft and yeah. um, also Mike Mann our, our website guru who uh, makes the magic happen if it wasn't for Mike he wouldn't be coming to you yeah he's going to join us at some point in the future as well yeah. we're going to have him back on too so that's all we have for this week thanks everybody for tuning in I am Chad Pfeiffer I'm Chris Lackey and I'm Matt Barisi and this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast hppodcraft.com daring skin divers brave undersea perils that stagger the imagination <laughs>
stop mother of